Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here with another podcast for you. This week, we're talking about the top five questionable decisions that Disney made in 2021. I have them bookmarked below in various different chapters. So if there's one that you want to see, feel free to skip over to it. Tony Mendez, welcome back to the podcast. How are you, sir? Very good. Uh, happy belated New Year. I hate when people do that when it's like mid middle of the year and it's already, you know, or middle of the month. Yeah, it's this year might as well already be done. But yeah, happy New Year. Glad to be back. We got lots of Disney stuff to talk about, right? We do have a lot of Disney stuff to talk about, but I thought it would be great to go back and look at 2021 and the year that was because even though all of us, and I just want to get this out of the way right now, I am so happy that the parks are open. I'm so happy that that part of my life is back. You and I had amazing times in Disneyland and out at Walt Disney World. So I'm very thankful that it's all there. I don't want anybody to take this as ungratefulness, but when you're a shareholder and a hardcore customer and a vibe chaser, you have the right to sort of question the management that is leading the organization that you have put so much of your energies into. So I thought it'd be interesting to take the top five of these for me. I also have a list of honorable mentions, but let's go with our number one here. Now, people are going to kind of push back on this one, but the idea is questionable. Like question these decisions. Now that we know how the year went, were these the proper decisions to make? Number one, I have, should Disneyland really have opened up on April 30th? I'm going to take this two different ways, Tony, and then I want to hear your thought process. Of course, they wanted to get their park open as soon as possible, and we all wanted to get there as soon as possible. But the Friday, April 30th deadline shocked me. Disney was able to be the first big theme park to open in Southern California, beating all of their competition. And I really, really always questioned that then, questioned it now, and I think I always will. Was that an executive decision to make a date on a calendar? Because even though they were able to get the park open and we had an amazing time. I'm not questioning that. Later on, there was some bottlenecking of hiring new employees. So even though they got the early win, it was a little bit of an operational mess the months afterwards because they had to rehire 10, 15,000 people all at once. When the park first opened up, it was more shut than open. It was a very, very confusing time. And I look back at it as a very special and nostalgic time. But I wonder, a lot of the bottlenecking that happened in the months that followed, could that have been reduced if they would have pumped the brakes, taken an extra six weeks to get all of their hiring, everything figured out, and really open the gates at full speed instead of that half step that they took. I knew it was an evolution to get to where they wanted to go to, but when I look back on it, and even then I'm like, it seems too fast. I mean, so fast that they steamrolled over the Touch of Disney uh, event that they had. They beat all their competition to get open first. It really felt to me that that was a date that the, you know, the brains picked and ignored what the boots on the ground wanted or what they realistically thought that they could make. What do you think? Yeah, I think that was a logistical nightmare, and they did pull the trigger a little too quick. And I'm also, when I think back on that time frame, I'm also thinking about how bad the online ticketing queue situation was. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, the, the feeding frenzy was just insane, and they were not equipped to, to deal with it. So you couple that with, a park that's like half uh, fully operational battle station, you know, like yeah. it's like a half a bit built Death Star. Um, yeah, there it was a weird time. Lots of 
uh, weird situations, but granted, I'm sure you were, you know, more than happy just to be standing in there and, you know, it, it was a great time, but still looking back on it for now, um, I can certainly say that, yeah, they probably should have waited and uh, until they had all that stuff dialed in before they opened and, you know, welcome back everybody. Well, it, it, you know, it was weird because you were so just happy to be there, but then after you really looked at it with that logical part of your brain and, you know, there wasn't annual passes. So people were paying full day tickets for really a reduced park. There were a lot of problems. Like it was almost impossible to get food and, you know, various different, you know, amenities were, were just missing and you would kind of go around like, Oh yeah, that's closed or that doesn't work there anymore. Or I have to do mobile food ordering and the mobile food ordering system was broken. It just seemed like it could have been one of those things where if they would have pumped the brakes, sort of got it a little bit more figured out then that reopening could have been smoother, but also that problem they got into a couple months down the road, because if you look back in 2021, not just people that go there all the time that, you know, everybody says are entitled to complain. I know lots of guests that did their one and only trip out to Disneyland and they left just saying, it's not the same. I spent a ton of money and it wasn't the same. It was very frustrating. It wasn't the way that they remembered that. So I'm not just talking about the pass holes. I'm talking about people all across the board. I heard say it wasn't the same. And uh, I really felt like a lot of that could have been you know, alleviated if they would have just did a better plan and not race to get to that deadline. Number two that I wanted to bring up, and I think that this kind of goes along with racing to reopen the park. I understand that, you know, 400 days of not making revenue at the parks will definitely change the way that you think about things. I also know that this is a business that has lots of money in the reserves and they're going to do all right. We didn't need to do a Kickstarter for them. I think deciding to not bring back the trams to penny pinch at the customer satisfaction at, at giving customers the amenities that they have become accustomed to. I think that that will go down as probably the lamest, poorest excuse to save money because it's really a big F you to the fans. Yeah. And even as a out of stater, you know, I was out at the park with you at the end of a long park day, you and I walk that tram trail and you're like, man, everybody is burnt out. Everybody's yep. exhausted. And then you have to walk that huge stretch. And it's just like, I, I understand, granted, again, that these were unprecedented times. You know, obviously, they're having a hard time staffing all that stuff. But I feel like that should have been one of the biggest priorities. So to see it just kind of like, eh, it comes back when it comes back. It was just bizarre to me. Well, it so, was definitely yeah. something that an executive said, okay, if we take this for now, it's been six months, the park, seven months that the park's been open and hasn't opened. So if we can roll out three quarters without having our parking garage workforce at hundred percent, they figured out clearly what that savings per quarter would be, right? Because these are executives that live and die in the 90 day cycle, which really forces you to be very, very short sighted and not to have a long term vision for things. So, in that cycle of we're saving, you know, I'll just make up a number we save $10 million every quarter that we do that. That's fine. You need to save $20 million. That's fine. 20 million is a drop in the bucket on what that park would have made daily over the 400. So you're not going to get back to zero. You're, you're never even going to get back to what you lost. That money is just gone. 
but what you're losing for your future are people being really, really dissatisfied. I mean, you know, young kids, by the time they walk that extra mile to the gate, and that's a mile to the gate that's not exciting. So they're asking questions. When are we going to get there? Anaheim's hot. On the way back, when you're really, really tired and you have to do that massive walk, then you have to go across the parking garage. I mean, I know that these are all first world problems, but let's ignore that there's a kid right now that doesn't have a bite to eat on the other side of the globe. Let's talk about people that have spent $200 to do this for the day that little mile drive back and forth is just one of those perks that keeps people happy, keeps people coming back, and it keeps people feeling the Disney magic. The tram path is dark. They have the music played way too loud. Everybody's walking like a walking dead zombie, so it's very hard to navigate your way through there. It's far, far, far from being Disney magic. So I wonder at what cost, you know, this kind of penny pinching Disney is the people that go out of their way to make rise of the resistance extra special galaxy's edge, extra special. Like they don't cut corners, but this is a massive corner that they've cut. Yeah. And well, I guess you could say they did build excitement for a parking garage, which I never thought I would be excited to see. But after <laughs> the end of that walk, you're like, Oh my God, there it is. There's the parking garage, almost home, almost there. Uh, but yeah, what a what a bizarre uh, thing to to cut corners on. Um, yeah, it didn't need to happen. No, it didn't need to happen, and it still is closed. And furthermore, if you watch my weekly series update at the beginning of this year when they announced, you know, because they did a lot of announcements at the end of last year to just tell everybody like, hey, we're gonna do better in 2022. And one of those announcements were was that the trams were coming back, but then they waited. Till this time of year, like literally the first week in January, to start a massive construction project at the end of the tram path. You have part of the park that hasn't been operational for now over two years. And you decide to do a big operation, a big transformation right at the finish line of reopening. It's like, you know, I understand that certain monies become allocated when you get to, you know, well, that money is, you know, we can't tap that budget until this quarter or that quarter. I understand how all of that works. I'm not naive. I, I don't think they have an endless amount of money or just a checkbook they can write anything for, but that timing is questionable. It's very, very questionable that now is the time they decide to rip the tram path up. Number three on my list is as follows. We were both a part of this. I'm going to say one of the biggest questionable things that they did in 2021 was the botched, failed 50th anniversary of the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World. That was, speaking of un-Disney things, that was about as un-Disney as I've ever seen before. And for folks that weren't there, I'm talking about, I mean, the 50th anniversary right now might be going great, but I'm talking about the day of that Friday in October, Friday, October 1st, when we all got up super early, we got to the Magic Kingdom waiting to celebrate as fans, with fans, and they literally did nothing. Nada. Zero. They did everything for the morning TV. They had no presentation for the fans. And randomly at like 10, 15, they had a recorded congratulations speech from the president of the magic kingdom and say, like, okay, why would that be getting played randomly once at 10 15? Because you forgot you literally didn't make anything and you could see how miserable people were going back to that day. Do you remember how shocked we all were that they're just decided to ignore 
the 50th? Well, luckily, I was less shocked because I let Ricky take the hit. He got there at like five in the morning or whatever. I slept until like eight o'clock that day. Five in the morning. Just, yeah. Adam picked me up from my hotel at 4 a.m. Adam and I were the very first car to go through TTC. Like five in the morning would have been great. I was already across the Seven Seas Lagoon at five in the morning. Yeah, you were there at the crack of dawn. And uh, it was uh, I was just getting text messages that morning. Like, yeah, there's nothing. Don't worry about getting here early. You're fine. And then when I eventually did, you know, leisurely stroll over to Magic Kingdom that day, it was in the afternoon. It was insanely crowded and for nothing like just, you know, there was nothing going on. There was nothing really other than just saying that you were there on the 50th, I guess, was something. But yes, it was such a letdown. No pageantry, no, no history, no nothing. No. Wow. Yeah. Well, they didn't forget to make merchandise. It was a crazy merchandise event. Uh, That part didn't get forgotten, but the celebration part did. And it's interesting because Chapik just released his um, pillars of success for the Walt Disney Corporation for the next 100 years. And he talked about a commitment to story. And one of the reasons why I got into doing this podcast and I got into doing YouTube is because I thought that I could tell a great version of the Disneyland story. And the reason why I thought I could tell a great version of the story is even though Disney has made some of the most memorable movies, films of our lifetime, they don't know how to tell their own story. And they continuously drop the ball on telling the story of the parks. So when Chapik said his big you know, pillar for the company was a commitment to story. I really stopped and questioned, well, what about the story of the 50th on that morning? Why did you decide to ignore Walt or Roy? I mean, Roy literally put himself in his grave getting his brother's vision made. And, you know, I had a lot of people push back like, well, we're in a global pandemic. Well, okay. Show that to me on all the rides that have zero socially distance and you don't have to wear a mask when you're outdoors. Like, Global pandemic, it's either all the time or it's none of the time. And it it doesn't work as an excuse. Like, well, we couldn't throw a celebration because we're in a pandemic. Yet we could fill every artery, every attraction, every ride vehicle to the brim with human beings. But we couldn't have that. And, you know, I'm not talking about anything that would have cost uh, a lot of money. You know, I know they're coming out of a down year. It didn't have to be expensive or elaborate. It just needed to be emotional. It just needed to be acknowledged. And, you know, here's an idea. They literally could have had somebody come out on the stage. Doesn't even have to be a professional performer. It could have been uh, Mickey Mouse. It could have been an executive. It could have been some entertainer. Literally, a stranger could have stepped on that stage and said, hey, everybody, right now, we're going to sing happy birthday for the Magic Kingdom, celebrating 50 years of the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World. Everybody would have went nuts. It would have been so memorable. It would have been so fun. What does that cost you? Not one penny, unless you have to license the song Happy Birthday. I have zero response as to why they couldn't do something like that. I feel like that whole trip, um, we were kind of down on it when we came back. Obviously, we were both down on Harmonious. Yes. But I think Harmonious kind of summed up the trip in general in that it was a a greatest hits playlist that didn't have like any spirit or Mm -hmm. any emotion 
or there was like nothing uh, to tether to the to the history and to, to everything that makes that place great. It was just like, here's something we think you'll like. Here you go. I hope you like it. Yeah, I mean, at least spaceship Earth lit up, and that was cool, right? Like, at least we got that. <laughs> that was so. great. I mean, it was interesting though because we all made the pilgrimage out there for the fiftieth, and we thought that the new fireworks show, we thought harmonious, like there were events on the calendar that we thought were going to be the pinnacle of our celebration. And what it ended up being is like it always is. It was about good times with friends. We had an amazing week, but none of the fiftieth things made it amazing. In fact, my most miserable day that I was there was the day of the 50th anniversary. Like it just, that day lacked a lot of magic. It was hard to get food and it, it it just, it wasn't acknowledged. And to me, when I think about um, a company that is so rich in story and it's customer service so far, the first three things I've said that were questionable all come down to customer service. And this is Disney, right? The five keys. This is a, a company that that prides itself that many other companies look to as a leader, not only in entertainment and innovation, but in customer service. And a lot of these decisions just literally lacked some of what we had seen in the past. Moving over to number four, this was a year where we saw Big Bad Disney do something insane, absolutely insane. When you feed the trolls, you grow the trolls. And they fed into social media this year, firing back at Walt Disney World News Today when they claimed that Bob Chapik wasn't going to Destination D23, even though he had been scheduled on there. Uh, they The website made the claim that Bob Chapik wouldn't be going because he was afraid of being heckled. Whether that's true or not, why would Disney acknowledge that? WDWNT, unless they say something that is liable or slander, they should be able to go on there and say, uh, Disney's going to pave Main Street with chocolate tomorrow. And Disney should just go, those idiots. We're not paving the Main Street with chocolate tomorrow. What a bunch of morons. Like The fact that they responded to Chapek canceling, it was a very odd, very weird move to acknowledge them for that. And then the biggest one was taking down the star Wars hotel preview video because of too much heckling and negativity. You don't do that. You put it out there, you keep your chin high and you just say, we got to do better. But that media piece, Tony, it was embedded and linked from news articles all around the globe, giving them free promotion for this massive investment of the Star Wars and uh, you know hotel that's coming up here in March, I just could not believe that you're seeing one of the biggest corporations in the world being bullied and responding and retreating from social media. What does that say to a 15-year-old girl that's getting bullied that can't take it? And it's like, oh, you know, people that make fun of you are just jealous. Well. Drink a little bit of that yourself. Yeah, it, there's like whatever happened to that old adage of like, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah, I mean, the response to the to the Galactic Star Cruiser has been lukewarm, not Luke Skywalker. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. It, you, you, you built it. You're not going to tear everything out and no. start from start it over from scratch. So what does it matter if, OK, we put this video out? People don't seem too receptive on it. 
but hey, you know, we'll win them back once we get them on the thing and once we show them around. And, you know, maybe, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But also, too, to your point about, yeah, they're a multi billion dollar company. I think it, it doesn't come off as, uh, you know, too rad when you're like, hey, uh, we're going to respond to this troll post. And like, oh, well, even, I mean, it wasn't really even that much of a troll post, but still, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Their their response to something to a blog on a website is like, what's that? Like, I, I don't know. You're you're a giant company. Do you really need to respond to everything that's said about you? Anything negative? No, you don't because you're Disney. So chill yeah. out. You remember how a couple episodes ago I gave my example of what Chapik should have said, and you know what I mean at the fiftieth, or, or or if he did go to destination D twenty three and get heckled you know just like hey you know i understand everybody's not feeling it and you know i'm going to work hard for the people that, that don't like me and and for the people that do this heckling thing or pulling down your edit of your your hotel video it's just odd and it shows a sign of uh, i think a lack of leadership and a lack of integrity you know if if you believed enough in that hotel video to film it shoot it, edit it, have all kinds of level of management approve it, broadcast it on national TV. So what? You're getting heckled. Many of the people that are razzing the Star Wars Hotel were never going to buy a room anyways. And the reason why they're excited that it's a failure is because they were afraid they're going to have FOMO. And now that it looks like it could be hokey, like a Chuck E. Cheese in space, they're like, oh, now I'm not missing out on anything. Now I get to make fun of it and, and really razz it. I didn't see a lot of 10-year-old kids and their executive parents that could afford that vacation. I didn't see a lot of those people riding on those videos. I saw a lot of internet people. And internet people, some of them spend money, some of them don't. But that's nobody to place like your, your self-worth in. I, I just find that to just be fascinating yeah it's definitely one of those situations where because of the price point it already put you know it, it put it in people's crosshairs right like sure as soon as they announced what it was going to cost you have star wars fandom arguably the biggest fandom there is in a fervor about you know how do i get tickets why is it so expensive what's it gonna be everything is, is a huge mystery box and then finally we get to see a little piece of it and our we've just grown to be our, our expectations are so high these days in terms of what a movie should be, what a ride should be, what an attraction, all these things. We've, we've built things up so, so much that when it doesn't uh, perform and when you, when you see it with your own two eyes and you're like, Oh yeah, no, that's not what I was thinking at all. This is yeah. totally different. You instantly go scorched earth and then just want everybody to, to share the same sentiment. And you know, it is what it is. So I think Disney, uh, yeah, they, they, I think they, this year, they just need to sit back, keep on doing what they're doing with their plans. Because the other thing too, is obviously we're razzing on it and everything, but there are people involved who spent a lot of hours working on these things. And when you pull that video, what does it say to the, to the creative team that, you know, yeah. had been working on this thing for years and years, like it just shows a complete lack of, um, you know, like, uh, just any sort of, uh, response or, 
you know, believability in the attraction or like your team or anything. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation, but yeah, I I completely agree hundred percent. Pulling it also, what that does is it makes people that weren't bummed out question, Oh, am I making a mistake? Like it really made me debate and I had to make a decision or am I in or am I out on my reservation? And you know, seeing the way they responded to it made me lean more towards canceling because as somebody who gets critiqued a lot on the internet and not as much as Disney, but a lot for an individual, if somebody says something that is just outlandish that I'm, I can just look at it and be like, what an idiot. And I just laugh at it. But the comments that hurt is when somebody points out something and I go, they're right. I could have been a better person. I could have handled that situation better. I could have been a better entertainer that day. I could have thought about somebody else's feelings more in that day. Those are the ones that hurt because I know I could have done better. Disney taking this video down to me as a consumer that is debating on keeping my reservation or not. It says to me that they know they could have did better because with galaxy's edge, they were all in on the promotion. They were strutting around like a peacock. They knew they had a winner. They would slowly bring a couple celebrities in there and show it to some people and let people walk through it. They brought in some different families. Like They knew that they had laid a a golden egg and a masterpiece, right? Um, They look panicked about the hotel, and that makes people go, should I be the, the experimental guinea pig? And I'll say this too. Why you should ignore the trolls is because the trolls all have the pricing wrong. They all have the pricing wrong on what that hotel costs. They go, oh, $7,000 a night. It's not $7,000. It's not six. It's not even five. Well, maybe if you go there by yourself. But how many people really go on cruises by themselves? You know, it's like they, people throw around this price tag because it's jarring and it's shocking and it gets attention. But if you really break down what it costs, it could cost you sub $2,000, which I know is a lot of money, but vacation days are vacation days. Experiences are experiences. And the dollar is not worth the same thing to any two people. We all have a different value of a dollar. So I think that that was very, very weird. But my last one, and I have a long list of honorable mentions that we'll be talking about today for our members of Club 1313. If you want to support the content, if you want to get into some really fun hangouts and and, and do some fun Disney stuff with a rad community and be a part of our Discord, which is the best place to go whenever big Disney news drops or there's big ticket drops, like that's the spot to hang out with. We'll be doing some of that in our bonus content for members. But our last one today for YouTube and for the podcast, I think that... You know, opening on the 30th, that's kind of a coin flip. Was that the right thing or not? You know, you can debate it. That's for sure. Monday morning quarterback. Uh, Deciding not to bring back the trams. That's complaining about the money. But once again, it's a pandemic-related type thing. The 50th was just oversight and lack of judgment. Reacting to social media was just odd. But my number one, because I think this one affects the park and guests for the long haul, is Genie Plus Lightning Lane. And aside from that, the notion of pay per ride after already buying a ticket at the gate or a pass for over the year. I think that this will be the thing that will be looked at the most from 2021. The hotel will either 
survive and thrive and become something amazing or they'll put a pool out back and it'll just become a regular hotel at uh you know it'll be used for team building or something like it'll become something or another the 50th is already gone they can try to do better on the 55th on the 60th on the 100th you know they can try to do that and and the trams and reopening disneyland that's all covid stuff you know and the closure for the pandemic uh for the 2020 portion of the pandemic i know that we're still surviving it and living through it that will go into the history books, but the genie plus is something that lives on and on. And I did a video with Dylan from theme park obsession where we ran a really cool experiment of, I did standby all day. He did uh, genie plus lightning lane all day. We synced up at the exact same time. So, you know, if, you know, if two people go to rise and one's on standby and one's on lightning, these are the two different outcomes. And we did that for an entire 12 hour day at the park. It has some perks. It has some bonuses, but it opened up a portal of saying that it's okay to charge per ride to inside of the park, create a class system. There's always been a class system, but this furthers the gap. But I say this to everybody. What? do these prices cost in five years? Cause it's just $20 today. And I'm a, I go there by myself. So it's 20 bucks for me. Family of four, it's 80 bucks. But the thing we know about Disney is the prices never go down. They only go up, Tony. Yeah. And so everything is priced out individually, right? They announced uh, when this first came out, it was going to be a la carte, which well, Who a couple of attractions are. Yeah, a couple of things are a la carte. That's yeah, true. and but what I, we yeah. learned is this, which is interesting to me. You can get one a la carte per park. So in Disneyland, the only thing that you can get a la carte is Rise, $20. Okay. But over in DCA, you have to make a decision. Do you want to do a la carte uh, Web Slingers or Radiator Racers? And if you don't buy it, then you got to stand in line for it. So they're already... That's a, just, it's so complicated, right? Like the, it, it's called genie, but it's lightning, but lightning lane is it, it, the whole thing is just a mess. It's a branding nightmare. Yeah. I think that was uh, the thing that I was just thinking about is that this was something that it was announced. Okay. Yeah. It was inevitable. They're going to start charging to, to go on attractions. Okay, fine. Um, but because we have been in the fast pass uh, economy or ecosphere, whatever you want to call it for however many years now, we're all accustomed to that. So yeah. that was something that was free and it was at Disneyland. You just had to go to get your ticket. You come back a certain time, Disney world, you could do it online. It was similar to a genie plus program, but it was all free. Right. So we grew accustomed to doing these things that, you know, just, Hey, if it's an extra thing that you have to do, but you're basically guaranteeing that you and your friends or family will be able to go on an attraction at a specific time. And it was awesome. So I think by having that uh, taken away from us, we already were like, mm, that's not cool. That's not cool. Disney. You don't have to do yeah, that. People hate when something's free and then you got to pay for it. Right. And, when FastPass first came out, it was once again that Disney excellence in customer service. Now for Greedy Plus, it's just that. It's greedy. Yeah. And I think everybody kind of sees it for what it is. And to your point, I didn't even think about, yeah, what, what this is going to look like in the future. I'm still like, oh, man, this is new. How is it going to work? Is it worth it? 
yeah, what if there's one day where I do just want to crush rides and I, I really need to go on rides or I, I have to bring somebody on rides who's never experienced it. Is it worth it? There's so many uh, unanswered questions that we don't really know yet. And the thing is, is it's like, it's on my phone. Like I have it for Disney world. I could see it working. I still don't like, like, I don't really want to put in the time to like understand this new system. It's supposed to be intuitive, it's supposed to be easy to use, but you know, I'm pretty tech savvy. I know how to work stuff. There are tons of families that are not tech savvy no. and are going to see this thing and be like, what is this? I have to do what now? I have to go on my phone just to be able to ride a thing. And they're like, so a can of worms. Even aside from the money, it does benefit the affluent because you have to have smartphone. You have to be savvy. You have to be somebody that reads the blogs and listens to the podcasts and watch YouTube to understand how all this works. Like if you were to go and buy it randomly at three o'clock or four o'clock in the day, things are already sold out and you're not going to be able to get as many tickets in. Like it's a very interesting move. And I think that long-term, you know, Disney raises prices and it's $20 now for the base service up to $20 for one of these a la carte rides. I mean, that could easily go up to 25 and 25. And I ultimately said that I thought that the, the service was missing a zero. I thought that if they really wanted to make an efficient service and they really wanted to, you know, make the park run in a great way, that the service should cost $200. Because at $200, you get a lot less people. The lightning would be a lot faster. But what would happen is, is $200 is a lot different than 20. So you get a smaller percentage of people that we're using this to really maximize a vacation day or a once in a lifetime trip out to the park. But what that would do is would take less of the weight off of the standby customer. And when I did this experiment with Dylan from over at theme park obsession, I put in the minutes brother. I mean, I waited in some long lines and what I will say about this from April 30th till the middle of December, it was a glorious moment in Disney history with no fast pass, everybody in the same line. I've never seen the park move more efficiently. I've never stood in shorter times, uh, shorter line times, and I've never been able to get in so many attractions in my life. And if you watch a phenomenal 90 minute video that David per, um, um, Kevin Perger did over at Defunct Land. I had that D in my mind and called him David. If you watch Kevin's documentary that he did uh, about Fast Pass, you can see why 5.8 million people have watched this video because it's really, really good. And ultimately, his thesis is one line is the most efficient way to run the park. And we had that for a glorious, glorious uh, eight months. And um, man, oh man, I think that this Genie Plus, the paper paper ride i think going into the future this will be the thing that 2021 will sting the most i think even over the pandemic i think that this will be the one that will burn the most over the long time because now there's that extra way of charging you know they figured out a new space to put in a new ticket so now there's a ticket to get in and now there's a ticket to ride the rides if you want to do it in an efficient amount of time it's uh, it's kind of fascinating, right? Because it used to be either a theme park was one price to get in and you owned it all, or it was a la carte. And they figured out a way to make it both. And that's the thing, too, is that 
again, I'm just thinking about families here. You and I, we've done everything a million times. We don't really have to go on the attractions that much. But if you're a family, this is a once in a lifetime trip. You kind of have to spring for it, don't you? To to ensure that you're getting your money's worth, that you're going on everything, that you're getting all the experiences. You kind of have to buy into the system now. And it's not like... Um, to what you're saying about obviously they could have a higher price point if they had like a really expensive but it was all access you go on as many times as you want every single attraction but it's going to be you know uh, something crazy like 500 dollars a person or something there are people that are willing to pay that because they know that there's i can just crush rides all day and that's all there is to it and i'm sure families would be willing to pay that too but because it is literally just the fast pass system plus money is really what the plus stands for. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. And, but they also picked a price point where it's like, yeah, is it really that much to have a better day? I mean, and the thing is, you know, I'm a successful 32 year old. If uh, you come out here and you say, Hey, I want to max out it. All right. $52. Let's go for it. But if going with the family model, that's 200 plus bucks for a family of four on top of airline, on top of the park tickets. I mean, you know, when uh, Dylan and I did this experiment, it was 198 to get in the park that day. That's what a single day park hopper was 198. If you added on the $52 that put you at 250, that is a pretty sizable amount of money to spend for a day. Multiply that times a family of four, you're at a G just to get in the park, and the kids need to eat and they're going to want souvenirs. I think when we look back on 2021, that will be sort of the most questionable one. I think that's the souvenir that hangs over. Some of the other ones were just kind of like guessing and feeling the year out. You know, it's nobody's perfect. Disney's not perfect. But what makes this fun is critiquing it, talking about it, learning from it. I always, always thought that Disney's such a big and powerful company that with your smaller company, you can base off what they do and apply it to, to your own small business. But it is fascinating to me that when it came time for them to offer a certain portion of their employees a raise, their offer was 50 cents an hour. So if you were to work 40 hours, that'd be 20 bucks, but you're going to get taxed. So that really is about $14. So their raise to their employees wasn't enough money to buy yourself a parking spot in the garage at 30 bucks. Or to buy a lightning lane basic for yourself for 20 bucks. So it's interesting how much they expect the consumer to cough up. But when it comes to their employees living in Southern California, a very expensive place to live, they offered a 50 cent raise, which is $20 a week after taxes. That's about $12, $14, depending on how your taxes are. What are you going to be able to do in Southern California with 12 or 14 extra dollars? What could you do with it at their very own park? I think that really sums up this pricing and where their mind's at. Yeah. And I think, uh, I know it sounds like we're ragging on the company and the parks and everything, but Mark and I can be homers too. I mean, we both oh, yeah. praise Disney and Disney parks a lot, but this is just, if you're being realistic and you love it as much as we do, you have to take everything into account. And these are th huge glaring things that happened over the course of the last year that, it's hard to overlook. It's hard to, you know, just brush off to the side. Just because you love something doesn't mean you can't be critical of it. And in fact, 
the reason why I am critical of Disney is because I want them to do better. I want them to be a better corporation. I want it to be a better experience. I want more people to be able to afford and enjoy the magic. Critiquing it is intelligent. Just spending the money is not, or complaining about everything is not. Somewhere in the middle is where the truth always lies. Tony Mendez, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. This was really, really fun looking back at these five sort of awkward moments. How about next week to prove to people that we can be positive unless there's breaking news. Let's celebrate two years, the two year troubled history of rise of the resistance. Let's do it. I'm so glad to be back. So thanks for having me back. Can't wait. Rise. Love it. Can't believe it. Can you believe it's been two years? That's insane, but I'm super I can't excited to talk about it. I can't believe it's been two years. It's been a quick, quick two years and it's been like, a weird two years for an attraction of that magnitude to come back to life at the Disneyland Resort. Friends, thank you so much for following along with today's conversation. If you'd like to, please subscribe wherever you're watching or listening to this. All the subscription will cost you is a good time. And if you want to hear more of today's conversation and other bonus content, be a part of a rad Disneyland community where our Discord is always popping when the news is dropping, you can join us over at club1313.com. I'm not only a member, but I'm the president. Friends, thank you so much for showing up. Until the next time, Tony and I see you in the boardroom asking the executives, are you sure you want to do that? We'll see you back here with more Disneyland Talk.